Good morning. morning. I want to look into the camera and say good morning to all of you all who are joining us at home or online or YouTube or Facebook or podcasts, whatever, but we are grateful that you are with us. Um, I want to start out this morning uh, probably a little different, but yesterday was the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. I just want to pause just for a moment and take a moment of silence. Father, on this day, would you remind us that you are the God of peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Father, in a time of turmoil, you are the God who is unchanging. In a time of restlessness, you are the God of joy, the God of love, the constant in the storm, the anchor that holds no matter what rages around us. And Father, we still our hearts and the multitude of anxious thoughts within us and we fix our gaze upon you, King Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in Exodus 19. Today we're doing Exodus 19. Next week we're doing Exodus 20. These are both fascinating New Testament, Old Testament parallels. Um couple things we have coming up that I was just thinking it would be good to tell you all. Um, we, we have a gathering of our overseers tomorrow, um, almost all day, um, which is going to be great. Just looking forward to that. Um, but coming up in the fall and or early winter, um, we have uh, Steve Mattis going to be preaching. He's actually my dad. I don't know if he's in here. He's one of our overseers. Uh, then we have Jim Snyder coming up in October. Um, in November, we've got uh, Jay Corpening and Nathan Snell. Nathan did the intro this morning, who are going to be sharing with us. Um, we have Clifford Barnett in December. He's also one of our overseers. And then in January, we have Alan Holmes, who's another one of our overseers. So we've got a collection of, of different people who are going to be up here, um, and I'll be in between them all. Sound good? All right. Uh, so Exodus 19. So we are back to a mountain in Exodus 19. Um, does anyone remember the mountain that Moses originally started this journey on in Exodus 3? So way back when we first started this? Sinai. Yeah, there's another name for it. Anybody? Horeb. That's right. Okay. So now what's, what's beautiful here is we are actually back to that same mountain. And I don't know if you remember, but I probably should turn there and read it to you. But in Exodus 3... If you're scrolling, scroll back. If you're flipping, flip and circle. But Exodus 3, verse 12. So this is at the burning bush. Remember we talked about this ordinary burning bush, and we're about to talk about this ordinary mountain here in Exodus 19. But in Exodus 3, uh, verse 12, it says, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So here we are, Exodus 19, and guess where we are? At the mountain. Come on, somebody. So when God speaks, he does bring things all the way back around. Usually, I think this took a lot longer than Moses thought. I think if Moses would have had it his way, he'd have been at the mountain a lot sooner, and it would have been a lot less tumultuous, and yet, he's at the mountain. Yeah? That's the important part. So let's... um, 
the other thing that I think I want to remind you of as we, as we open this is we looked at Luke at the very beginning of this series and Jesus uh, went with a few of his disciples up onto a different mountain and he was transfigured. So the heavens opened and God showed up and spoke. And then out of eternity past walked two guys, Moses and Elijah, and Jesus and Moses talked about the exodus. That's what it says in Greek. It's, they, they use a different word in the, new, in the NIV translation that I'm reading, but in the Greek, that, that, that word is exodus. And so what we're looking at today is the mountain Moses went up um, in sort of contrast or in the shadow of the mountain Jesus went up when he was transfigured. And then we're even going to tie into it um, the mountain that Jesus would ultimately ascend called Golgotha or Calvary, where he paid it all. Okay? So we're going to see if we can kind of bring all this together this morning um, in a fascinating passage in Exodus 19. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, sort of the presence of God. Um, in fact, I would actually say to you that as a book, the book of Exodus is all about the presence of God among his people. And, you know, that word is kicked around a lot um, in certain Christian circles, and we're going to actually look at the presence of God, and there's almost a holiness or an awe that I hope actually falls on us a little bit as we look at the presence of God. Because the presence of God is a very serious, um, sort of awe, almost a scary thing, and yet that's sort of juxtaposed or in the bookends of his great love and great mercy. So that's kind of where we're heading this morning. Um, so let's just pick up and read, and uh, we'll, we'll go for this thing. Exodus 19. <clears throat> on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Has anybody ever been to this mountain? Have you really? MJ, you've been there? Oh my goodness, this is like a bucket list thing for me. Like, I, I mean, I'm going, Lord Jesus, if there's any place I would like to go before I die, it is, it is I would love to go stand, because there's this huge um, plain, this huge desert, um, big massive plain where several million people could have camped, and then this, um, all, I would think of it almost like God's pulpit sort of extends up out of the desert, this huge mountain that's about 4,000 feet tall, and it, it became this place where God uh, descended, and he could actually speak out to his people people. So what's amazing to me is when you look at um, sort of the archaeology of the Bible, you can actually even think of um, Jesus when he did the Sermon on the Mount. It's another situation where this natural amphitheater, uh, this natural sort of cathedral of the open sky that God built for his people to gather in, and Jesus um, preaches this Sermon on the Mount in a similar place. Um, so, but God descends upon this mountain, and I'd actually think of it like God's pulpit or God's place where he gathered before his people, and there's almost a ceremony that's going to take place here. We'll look, we'll look more at um, that. But uh, let me contrast those first couple passages uh, with Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? What mountain are we talking about? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And I actually want you to, um, as, we're, as we're navigating through this chapter this morning, I want you to think about something that I would probably call the exchanged life. You ever heard of that? You might have heard me say it. But, but what that essentially means is you come to this place where you recognize, um, I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. And if you're not there, it's okay. Wait a little while. And you'll come to that place. I'm going to pray that you come to that place. But when you come to that place, uh, the gospel message is essentially you come to this place where you recognize you don't have a clean heart, you don't have clean hands, and you exchange your busted, broken life 
And what do you get in return? Y'all aren't very interactive today, are you? I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to push the envelope. Come on, y'all. We got, we, this, is a, this is a good crowd. Let's, let's interact a little bit. Okay, so you come and you recognize you don't have a clean hands, you don't have a pure heart, and you exchange your broken life, and what do you get in return at the foot of the cross? A new heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. King Jesus actually gives you his, uh, his hands and his heart, and all. The, therefore, there's this supernatural transaction where he comes and takes up residence inside of you, and, and you get a new heart. That's really good. Now, sometimes, sometimes we make decisions and we act out of our old heart. You know what I'm saying? We downshift and we go, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I said? What have I, come on, be honest with me. Yes, if that didn't happen to me, to y'all this week, you're probably lying to me. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he hasn't come in and made us new. So what I want you to look at as, as we sort of go through this is this idea of an exchanged life. So who can ascend this mountain? Only the one who has exchanged their life for the life of Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, David penned that psalm, by the way, way before Jesus uh, was born, although Jesus was alive. How about that? Jesus was alive before he was born. Write that down. Okay, verse 3. Okay, so Moses um, ascends the mountain that I can count seven times, all right? In this chapter, uh, chapter 19, he's going to actually ascend it three times. So here we go in verse 3. Um, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And what's beautiful to me about this uh, verse is you, you don't have any sense that God said, climb the mountain. Remember what happened last time when Moses got ahead of God or said that, you know, he, he, he didn't do exactly what God said. He made a mess. But what's beautiful about this verse is I think it's fulfilling Exodus 3.12 where God said, this will be the sign that you'll actually worship me on this mountain. So here's Moses and he goes up on the mountain uh, to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now, I want you to just imagine something. If, if, we're, uh, if, if we were the Israelites and we were encamped at the base of this huge mountain, and then you have the presence of God coming down, it's really like the fire of God, the presence of God, the holy inferno of God settles upon this mountain, and as God speaks to Moses, guess who can hear? Who said it? People. The people! So, so this is not a, you know, like a lot of times, uh, I've heard God in my life um, audibly maybe once or twice, like it's a very highly infrequent thing. I'm 40 years old. Occasionally he'll wake up, wake me up, and he'll say something very specific. But generally speaking, um, I walk with the Lord in such a way that he speaks to me in my heart, little nudges, he leads me sometimes circumstantially, he'll speak to me in the word, he'll convict me, a lot of, a lot of things like that. But what's fascinating here is as the presence of God descends upon this mountain um, in fire, and some people have said this was a volcano. This was not a volcano. There's no trace that Sinai was ever a volcano. But what's happening atop Sinai at this moment in, in this passage is very volcano-like, okay? So, but as the presence of God descends upon this mountain, the people of God are camped in their tents below, and they can hear the voice of God. Like, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to sit in camp and to be able to look outside. You still have this pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud who's parked there, right? And then you're, you're looking up at this mountain, and there's this holy raging inferno fire on top of the mountain. And as God is speaking to Moses, you can hear. I mean, talk about um, sort of a, a, a transformative process. It's, a, it's almost like it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a Hebrews verse, by the way. 
New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Okay, um, <clears throat> so here we go. Verse 3, I think. So then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So this is, um, in some way, the Lord's reviewing here what he uh, has already done. Verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Um, so, okay, let's, let me step back here for just a minute before we keep going. Uh, there's three ascents that we're going to look at where Moses hikes up to the top of Mount Sinai. Do we have any hikers in the room? Backpackers, hikers, few of you? Okay, so Moses is hiking up 4,000 feet to the top of this mountain. He goes into the presence of God. The first ascent, he's going he's to essentially call Israel to be obedient. Um, and the second ascent, he's going to call the people to holiness. And then the third ascent, um, he brings Moses face to face with sort of the seriousness of God's divine holiness, um, which I don't think he's previously contemplated. In other words, I think God brings Moses into a spot where the fear of the Lord comes on him at an entirely new level. <clears throat> okay, so here we go. Um, now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Have you ever heard people talk about that, kingdom of priests? So we, we tend to think um, that uh, those of us who are like vocational pastors, right, we're the priests, right? That's the way we'd normally think. But, but what is he saying here? So remember, all the people are camped at the base of the mountain. God is thundering at the top of the mountain. Who are the priests? Now there is, is a, you know, we can get real technical and go, Michael, there's a certain tribe, the Levites, and they're the priests, and that's true, that's true. But God is also opening up something much bigger, and he's going now, who's the priests? Say me. If you're in Jesus, and if Jesus is in you, you're now the you're a kingdom of priests. So, all right, let me, let me deviate and go very practical here for a second. Because I, I preached last Sunday's sermon, and somebody said, you should have made it more practical. And I thought, you're absolutely right. Let me make it practical. Abby and I had two situations this week. One situation, um, we are down uh, having um, dinner. We have a date night once a week. On a good week, on a bad week, we don't. But on a good week, we have a date night. Um, and we're, so we're out at dinner, and we're sitting there, and it takes like an hour and 17 minutes for our food to come. No exaggeration. We have a small business, and it's really hard to get employees right now. It's just a really difficult time. Um, we're down three or four employees. This restaurant was down three or four employees. But Abby and I have lots to talk about, yeah? And we were just enjoying our time. So uh, it wasn't that big of a deal to us. When the food finally came, it was cold. We're like, man, we waited an hour and 17 minutes. Well, there was a couple sitting next to us outside that I hadn't paid too much attention to. But all of a sudden, this guy is, like, livid, uh, probably wealthy older guy, I don't know, that's my, you know, whatever, looking at him. Um, and he is livid, and he calls this, the waitress over, and just, I mean, hammers her. And I am like, Abby's like, should we step in? I'm like, I mean, I, we, are, we are like, what in the world do we do here? The girl, the girl starts crying. Then they bring the manager out, and he hammers the manager. I mean, hammers her, just absolutely obliterates her again and again. And I am like, oh my goodness, would you relax? Like, we got it. Like, the food's cold, and you're right, but hey, this is a human. 
And so Abby and I had an opportunity to, um, we didn't lead anybody to Jesus, but we became a kingdom of priests. And we had this opportunity where we just shared the love of Jesus with this gal who was our waitress. And then, I was so proud of Abby, um, I jumped up and I ran inside uh, to go to the bathroom and I stopped and grabbed the manager and I said, hey, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. You guys are doing a great job. I know these are weird times. Just, you know, be encouraged. We're grateful for you guys. We love Jesus. We're glad to be here. Be encouraged. Um, so I come back out of the bathroom. Abby comes in. Abby circles up most of the staff in the restaurant. <laughs> Abby's going to have a full-on prayer meeting with you. And, and she's, I mean, she's teared up. Abby's teared up. And then the, the waitress was teared up. The manager's teared up. And Abby just starts encouraging everybody. Now, here's the thing. She became, she and I together became a kingdom of? How do you share Jesus? Now, listen to me. I'm intentionally making this very practical, Okay. How do you become a kingdom of priests? Um, once you're made new, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Him with the clean hands or her with clean hands and a, and a pure heart. How do you get that? You appropriate or you exchange your old busted heart for the new heart of Jesus. And then once the new heart of Jesus is inside of you, you begin to look around and think like a pastor. What does this person need? I would guess that most of you go out to eat once a month, twice a month. I don't know. You fill in the blank. So when there's a person waiting on your table, guess what? That's an opportunity to do. Love on them. Do you have to preach to them? No. You know who, um, I don't know if my mom is in here. I'm going to embarrass her if she is. But she's one of the best people I know at starting random conversations with people. And then she doesn't lead very many people to Jesus, but she almost always says in these random conversations, hey, can I pray for you? And she's just standing at random spots, and she'll just put her hand on their shoulder, and she'll just, you know, say this sweet little prayer. But what's she doing? She's becoming a kingdom of priests. She's becoming a pastor. She is sharing the life and the love of Jesus. And, you know, I, I see more Christians who jump into um, divisive and difficult uh, conversations and arguments, and I want to say, sweep it aside and love on people, become a kingdom of priests, become a pastor, and actually love on people and engage people where they are and actually ask them, hey, could I pray for you? I mean, can you, I have almost never, I think I've had one time, and all the times I've said, hey, would you mind if I pray for you, had one person turn me down and say no. There's just very few people, um, most people, all people, have the, the, the um, fingerprint of God on their heart, whether they're a believer or not, whether they acknowledge King Jesus or not. They were created in his image. They have the fingerprint of God on them. They have eternity in their hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11. And when you say, hey, can I pray for you, they interpret that as, oh, can I bless you uh, uh, with the very hand or presence of God? And guess what? Most people say, please, please. So here, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of encouraging you with, is you can actually become, we can become a group of people who can shift the culture of a city. It's not about me being a great preacher. It's not about our worship team, although I was digging the mandolin. You guys did an amazing job up here this morning. But it is not about our worship team even being a great worship team. It is about a group of people who come together and who die to themselves, who lay themselves aside, who exchange their brokenness for the fullness and wholeness of Christ Jesus. And then you go out and you become pastors. That's how we shift the city. 
We could actually change the course of Wilmington, North Carolina, not if one person or two people, but if a group of people begin to go, hey, I can love on people, I can reach beyond, I can be kind, I can be gracious, I can say, hey, can I pray for you? I can roll down my window and encourage somebody. I can smile. Christians are unsmiley people. You might need to repent on that. Share Jesus. Come on. That's what we were talking about last week. How do you become a living stone with rivers of living water flowing out of you? I was so proud of Abby. I walked out. She's got the whole group gathered up. She's encouraging everybody. And I'm like, streams of living water. Boom. There is no reason everybody in here can't do that. There you go. Living epistles. Amen. Don's going to tie it all together. Thank you. Okay, back to verse 6. If you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down. So Moses is at the top in the fire of God, in the presence of God, the smoke of God, the thunder of God, the rumblings of God. And now where does he go? Verse 7. Hiking on back down to the people. This is the first trip up the mountain. So Moses went back down, and he summoned the elders um, of the people, and he set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. I love that about Moses. He's come to this spot where he is so yielded. He's not adding to or taking away. Oh, Lord, let us be a group of people like that. The people all responded together. This is so funny to me. Verse 8 is like laughable. They are crazy. Let's read verse 8 together. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what, I mean, we could, we could just trace through the whole Bible right now. We could look at Joshua. They kind of did what he said for a little while. And then we get into Judges. Gosh, is it any worse than Judges? They didn't do what he said. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. We can just flip on through the Bible. Did they do what he said? When you come to the place that you recognize you don't have clean hands and you don't have a pure heart, but you know the one who does, and you go and exchange your busted life, and he gives you new heart, new life, new hands, pure heart. That's the gospel. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, we'll give you an opportunity to give your light to him at the end of this little gathering. So the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. This reminds me of like, you know, if you're in a real bind, like a terrible bind, and you go, Lord, if you just save me from this bind, I'll follow you. All the, you know, we, we make these big, bold promises. Come on, I know you've done that. And then you look back and go, oh, gosh, I should repent of that, right? I didn't feel... Be careful what you promise the Lord. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So where'd he go? Hiked his fanny back up the mountain, back up to 4,000 feet, into the cloud, into the thunder, into the fire, like the presence of the Lord, this holy raging inferno is going on on top of Mount Sinai, and he goes back to the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you. Are the people hearing him speak? Yeah, they're sitting in their little campsites, they're in their tents, and I bet they are quaking in their boots. I would have been. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, so that they will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord, isn't it funny that Moses goes back and reports? I mean, God knew what they said. I always, I always love that the Lord sort of humors us and lets us, you know, I mean, Mo, he, he gives Moses an opportunity to share what he already knew. That's the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them for today, uh, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. What's that remind you of? resurrection come on somebody's somebody's connecting dots way to go because on that day the lord will come down on mount sinai in the sight of all the people put limits for the people around the mountain now uh, wash your clothes and be ready um let me liken that in your mind uh to a wedding ceremony a wedding ceremony. Because at the beginning, when you look at Genesis to Revelation, what you actually have here is this grand love story. And it begins in, uh, in the garden, and there's this fall. Um, and then there's, this, there's almost this ceremony that, that I would say is about to happen, where you have a holy God and then his bride being um, connected and, and married to him. Okay. Now, guess how the book ends? Anybody? Revelation 19. I'm actually going to flip there. See if I can find it. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Anybody beat me there? Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Who? Yeah, God, Jesus, that's right. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for, to her to wear. So what begins to unfold already in, the very, in, this, in this 19th chapter of Exodus is you have a God who is choosing and beginning to prepare his bride. Now listen to me. Jesus is going to return. You might look around and go, oh, things are terrible, and oh, they're getting dark, and oh, we're not a Christian nation, and oh, blah, blah, blah. Listen to me. God is in it all, and he is actually preparing his bride for his return. And he is going to come back, and there is going to be a marriage between a bride, the body of Christ, the busted broken church. But remember, she's exchanged her brokenness for the new life of Christ Jesus in her and through her. That's right. And there's this, there's this final conclusion sort of wedding ceremony that takes place. And what you have between the beginning and the end of the book is all this waywardness. Oh, Lord have mercy. Sounds like me. Y'all thought you had a perfect pastor. Okay. Um, Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud. Uh, I think we already got that. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today, um, and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. So he put some kind of fence around the mountain. Crazy, huh? We love fences in America, don't we? Keep people in, keep people out. We love our little yards. Okay, anyway. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Now, that's heavy. If you touch the mountain, so if you pass through the fence and touch the mountain, you're to be put to death. Let's, let's look at how. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. So, in other words, don't even lay a hand on them. I mean, that's heavy. This is the holiness of the Lord. And I don't think you can fully grasp the love of the Lord and the grace of the Lord and the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord unless you grasp the holiness and the righteousness of the Lord. It is the holiness and the righteousness of the Lord is contained in the bookends of his love and his mercy and his peace and his joy. But you cannot experience that unless you've come to the spot where you recognize how holy he is and how holy you're not. Back to that exchange, right? Okay, <clears throat> they are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. 
whether people or animals, they shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Uh, That's a shofar, by the way, in different translations. But after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet or shofar blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. I don't even know that I can do justice there, but when the presence of God, the holiness of God, the raging inferno fire of God descends upon this mountain, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's smoke, there's, it's, it's like the, the fear of God takes root inside of the people. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So you get this idea that they come up to the fence that Moses had just built, right? They built a fence around the mountain. The people all come to the, to the very edge of that fence. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. One translation says smoke like a kiln. And it's like we've been, we've been talking about um, how suffering or difficulty or wilderness experiences, which guess what? Remember, God led the Israelites into the wilderness. It wasn't their sin that led them there. It wasn't the enemy that led them there. It wasn't that they made a wrong navigation on their you know, map or compass. No, no. God actually led them into the wilderness. And this fire that burns like a kiln, um, kiln is, is when if God is the, the potter and we're the clay in life, he shapes us. And then he's going to put us into the fire of adversity. And guess what happens? You, you, a kiln is what hardens a piece of pottery. It makes a plate a plate, right? Without that, it's just a piece of clay. But once you walk through the fire of adversity, all of a sudden you, you, you have this um, a lump of clay that's now become something usable, and we all have cabinets full of them called plates or bowls or cups or whatever, right? So, okay, we got this, this kiln thing going on. Now the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This is Moses' third trip up the mountain. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, so Moses is up, third time, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, These, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down and tells the people. Let me cross-reference a couple things for you as we try to tie all this together because there's something that's really powerful if we can fully get There's There's really two powerful things if we can fully get our heads around it. <clears throat> I think I put the wrong verse in my notes. <laughs> All right, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the person, Christ Jesus, that's right. There's one God, there's one mediator. Now, 
in the passage we just read, um, who becomes the mediator? Moses. Moses is the mediator. So in other words, Moses goes up and he interacts in this raging inferno with God, right? And then what's he do? Comes back down the mountain and he tells the people. And they ask him a question or do whatever. And then what's Moses do? Back up the mountain and he talks to God. And God says something and what's Moses do? Back down the mountain. You know, Moses is getting in shape. It's good. It's good for the 80-year-old guy. He's in shape. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 9.15, let me see if we can tie this together. Lord Jesus, would you give us revelation right here? This is so important. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Okay, so who's the mediator of the new covenant? Okay, so you go back to this Mount of Transfiguration where Moses walks out of eternity and he and Jesus are hanging out talking about the Exodus and Moses becomes this sort of Old Testament messianic prototype and King Jesus from eternity past becomes the prototype. He is the one. So you, you have this idea um, and, and let's, uh, let's wrestle with this here a second. If, you're, if you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you, that means you have come to the place where you go, I can't ascend the mountain. You got it. Like, in other words, if I go up the mountain, I'm going to die. You cannot enter the presence of a holy God. I remember as a young man, um, like really young, I was a teenager, and I did everything um, right, believe it or not. I did everything right. Like I walked with the Lord. I could go through. I mean, I was like, I, I led this Christian group, and things were going really, really well. And I had this... Um, arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency inside of me and my entire life got sideswiped for seven years because of some sin that um, I didn't do had nothing to do with me but also because of sin that was in my own now coming out of that season I recognized most fully my need for God's um, grace for him to be the mediator on my behalf that make sense so you, you, uh, you come to this point where you're like, I can't ascend the mountain. I can't enter into relationship with a holy God if I don't have a mediator. And Jesus becomes your mediator. Jesus becomes your way. So you, 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 are, you, you are feeling perhaps outside or stuck outside the presence of God, not fully connected to this loving God, and you can't get in because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, and yet you have King Jesus who paid it all so that you and I can enter, so that we can climb the mountain. And then once we have this mediator on our behalf, not only does he go up for us, we can then go up. We actually as people, because Jesus is in us, he became the blood of the lamb, he's covered our sin. We as people can actually climb the mountain and, and uh, be in the presence of God because we've been covered by the blood of the lamb. He has made us new. You follow me? It's this, it's a, it's a trans. Formative. It's not like it, it grieves my heart when I hear people preach Christianity or the Bible or Jesus in such a way where it becomes a book of rules. This is not a book of rules. This is a book about relationship with a king. 
It's a love story about a God who has paid it all and becomes the mediator so that you and I can go where we don't deserve to go, where we can be and experience the righteousness that we don't deserve to experience, and yet we're welcome, grafted into the family of God because he's paid the ultimate price. Like it is absolutely, it's mind-boggling. Anyone who truly begins to understand the gospel, why wouldn't you give your life to King Jesus? And I'm actually praying that God would raise up a group of us, a, a, a church and churches in this city and in other cities of people who are more fully surrendering every aspect of their life to Jesus. You have at this moment as much of that holy inferno presence and power of King Jesus in your life as you want. Shall I say that again? You have at this very moment as much of the presence and the holiness and the power of God in your life as you want because he is the mediator. He has paid it all. He has made a way for you up the mountain into the presence of God. And most of us, those tend to stand back and go, not this area of my life, God. No, I got my finances. Don't you worry about that. I got my marriage. Don't you worry about that. I got the stuff I like to look at on the internet. Don't you worry about that. I got this anger problem that I kind of, you know, don't you worry about that, God. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm even juxtaposing. There's this, there's this once and for all surrender to King Jesus where you exchange your bustedness for his newness. But then there's a daily surrender. Like I have these daily declarations. A couple of people have asked me about them. And I get them out and I just read them every day because I have my brain leaks. Okay. It just does. And I have to remind myself that I've been crucified with Christ and that old guy Michael no longer lives, but now who lives in me? Jesus! He is my mediator and he has made a way for me to go up the mountain into the presence of God. And so now I'm no longer excluded from the presence of God and relationship with God. I don't need a, um, a mediator or a go-between. I can go right to him. Come on! Listen to me, church. God has opened, uh, opened the door for you to have a deep and intimate and personal ongoing relationship with him if you will continue to come and exchange your old life for his new life. Does this mean you get saved again? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how do you daily walk in the infilling power of the Holy Spirit? You go, oh. It's the old Britney Spears song. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> Glad y'all like that. That wasn't supposed to be funny. We laugh at our house because I'm never funny except when I don't mean to be. We tend to laugh at me, not, you know, well, I don't know. Anyway, dad jokes and preacher jokes. Okay, here's the point. It is okay when you come to the point where you recognize again and again and again that you've got to exchange your old busted brokenness for the newness of life in Christ Jesus. It's a daily thing. That's why oftentimes when I get up here after worship, I'm going to go, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, would you fill me? Lord Jesus, would you convict me? It's a living, active relationship. It is not a thing where you're cleaning up the outside or changing this or changing that. Leave all that stuff to God. You keep coming to him and surrendering it all again and again and saying, Lord, would you fill me? And we'll be a church of people who are so filled with the power and presence of God. It will, that's how you shift the city. 
That's how you change a state or a nation or a seaboard. It's when a group of people, not just one person, but a group of people come together and go, Jesus, be our king. Jesus, be glorified in us and through us. Jesus, can we reach beyond ourselves? Jesus, can I just look across any aisle that I'm sitting on and try to understand how life might look from somebody who's in a different chair? Okay. We got Moses the mediator, and then we have Jesus the mediator. Come. Jesus the mediator. Okay. Now, let's talk about this raging... Last thing we're going to talk about. Let's talk about this raging inferno, uh, holy fire of God on this mountain. There's an element where you can look at the burning bush, or you could even look at the pillar of cloud and the fire by night, and you could go... You know, you could almost go, it's controllable, or it's not that big of a deal... But when this fire comes down on on an entire mountain, it's like a terrifying thing, okay? So the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God has descended upon a mountain. Now, from that mountain, where does the presence, power, and purpose of God go? Next. Who knows? We're actually going to read it in a few weeks here in Exodus. Where does it go? From the mountain to the... That's good. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking for something a little bigger than the ark, but you're right. What? The sea? Yeah, that's good. That's part of it. We'll talk about that. Ah, who said it? There's a tent. Okay, this is, <laughs> there's a tent that is made by human hands, and we're actually going to see God give Moses the design for the tent. This is how you build it. This is the measurement. This is what this needs to be, and that needs to be, and everything's symbolic of our Christian lives even today. We're going to look at all that. But the presence of God, the power of God, and the purpose of God goes from a mountain to a tent made by human hands. From the tent in the heart and mind of a guy named King David, what's conceived? Who knows? What? A temple. Okay, And then uh, God actually looks at King David and says, hey, I know you want to build it, but you've got so much blood on your hands. You can't build it. Your son Solomon will be the one that will build it. So the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God goes from a mountain into a tent made by human hands, into a temple made by human hands, right? Now, a guy named King Jesus comes along the scene. I'm going to tell you this because this is cool. I wear this little thing once in a while. I actually brought it back from Israel for Abby. She didn't wear it, so I stole it. (laughs) I had to get a new chain, a little more, you know, masculine chain. All right, here's the cool thing about this. This is from a little village called Magdala. Magdala. It was just discovered um, in like 2008 and 2009. It's where a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene is from. It's actually where they salted fish. It's a whole other sermon. It's where we get our name, though, by the way. So what this little coin is, is there were coins. uh, uh, It is the oldest synagogue that has been archaeologically uncovered in Israel. And I've actually stood on this floor. It's this beautiful mosaic floor. And the coins were found on the floor, and they were dated 29 CE, common era. Now, how old was Jesus when he began his ministry? So guess what was in circulation? When Jesus was 30, 31, 32, 33. When you lay the archaeological narrative, the biblical narrative, and the historical narrative on top of each other, you can say with almost certainty that Jesus stood on this exact synagogue in this place and he taught 
the gospel of Christ Jesus. He stood here and he became the mediator on our behalf. And so there's this transition from uh, the fire of God, the presence of God, the power of God on a mountain to the presence of God and, and the purpose of God and the, and the fire of God in a tent made by human hands. And then it goes to a temple made by human hands. And then it goes to a, a human who was fully God, fully man by the name of Jesus. And then he goes to another mountain called Calvary or Golgotha and he pays it all and he beats death and he beats hell and he beats sickness and he beats everything under the evil that is under eternity. He rises from the dead and then all of a sudden he becomes the mediator and the, that same presence of God and power of God and fire of God can now come in and dwell where? In me. Come on, say that with me. That same power that was on the mountain, that same raging inferno that sat on the mountain, moved to a tent, moved to a temple, moved to a man who was fully God, and then that veil was actually torn in this way for us to go through the veil into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been, into the presence and power of God, make a way up the mountain so that we are no longer on the outskirts. No, no, no. Now we are welcome into the beloved, into the presence of a holy God. And you can sit there today and go, I am sick and tired of the old person that I've been. Great! Now you're ready to come and exchange your life for the holiness and the newness of Christ Jesus in you and through you. And now you're ready to actually leave this place and transform a city. I don't care whether you're impressed with the way we do church or the way we do picnics or anything else. What I want to see is a group of men and women who come to the point where they go more and more, I am going to surrender my life wholly and fully to you. And then the peace of God and the joy of God and the love of God is so salty on our lives that people who are out there who are thirsty and lost and dying are all of a sudden affected by us. And we're having little prayer meetings at funny little restaurants ministering to people who are busted and broken. Come on! That's it. That's it. Frick, you want to play? I'll close this out. There's only one thing that I want in this whole life. And it's the infilling presence of Jesus. I want to stand in the presence of Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I don't care if it's a big church or a small church, but I want to walk with a group of people who are also walking with Jesus. That's the point. You don't get there by being perfect. You don't get there by having your mess together. You actually get there by acknowledging how busted you are, how broken you are, how much you fall short. And when you come to that place, you exchange your brokenness for the holiness of King Jesus. People throw things around like we become the hands and the feet and the face of. That's biblically true. Because see, when I exchange my old bustedness and King Jesus comes in and makes me new inside, all of a sudden I have clean hands and a pure heart, not because I've done anything, but because he's made a way. And I can hike up the mountain now into the presence of God. I can live in the presence of God. That means you can be driving down the road and you can be angry. You can have just lost your temper with your spouse or your kids or your coworker, And you can flip on some worship and go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Lord Jesus, would you fill this place? I've done it again. I've fallen again. I've failed again. And you can actually begin to take into you the living person of King Jesus. This is good news. 
Let's close our eyes. Every, every eye in the room closed. Heads are bowed online. Let's do the same. I'm actually going to read a verse. It's, we'll keep our eyes closed here for just a second. But Romans 10, 9 and 10. This is what it says. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The way that you are saved first and foremost when you meet Jesus is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you're sitting out here and you go, man, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time, would you raise your hand? Anybody need to confess with their mouth and believe in their heart? If you're online and that's you, would you reach out to Patrick or Nikki? And they'll connect you with me or one of our pastoral team. Now there's another group of us here in the room and perhaps online. And it's a group that has come to King Jesus before, has made this supernatural exchange, but you probably need to take the next step because you recognize you still got more of you in you than you'd like. You know what I mean? Here's what I want you to do in the quietness of your heart. There are no magic words. There is no formula. It's a supernatural transaction between you and King Jesus. But in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to bring to him and go, Father, there's this area or that area. And I want to exchange my brokenness for your wholeness, for your holiness, so that I can ascend the mountain of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Father, would you wash over us as a church? Lord, would you speak to us? Father, would you heal us? Father, would you deliver us from our own performance, our own addiction to perform, our addiction to approval? Father, all we want is to be approved of by you, not because of something we've done, but because we've exchanged it all with King Jesus. Father, for this church at this time, for the people online, for the people in the room, Lord, would you meet with us in a powerful way. Father, would you speak to us? Would you make us alive in Christ? And would you make us a salty bunch that is out, becoming living water to people who are lost and broken? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.